0: Welcome to the Love First Podcast. Thank you for joining us. If you are returning, thank you for liking, sharing, and subscribing. Thank you for inviting your friends. If this is your first time, I want you to know that we're thankful that you've joined us, and the purpose of this podcast is to catalyze courageous conversations so that we can revolutionize the way we love one another. Over the past two weeks, we have been in an important discussion about disabilities and special needs and the intersectionality of justice, and especially in regard to the events that our nation is experiencing right now. We are going to continue that conversation this evening, so thank you so much for joining us. My first, I know. I, uh, I want to take a moment and welcome you to the Love First Podcast. Thank you for joining us. My hope is that you have been engaging with us in these courageous conversations that are meant to revolutionize the way that we love each other. And you know on this podcast that one of the things we want to explore is the way that our society our families, our schools, our government, our churches, and our communities interact with people who are the most vulnerable. And so a few weeks ago, we stepped into this important conversation about disabilities and special needs. You've had the opportunity to hear from uh, Ryan Lee, a young uh, activist with autism, and his fantastic video. And if you haven't heard that, it is available at lovefirst.org. And then you'll also be able to watch three videos of just families talking, talking about their experience with disabilities and with family members who have disabilities. On those uh, conversations, you'll also notice that we sprinkled in there some uh, therapists and some people that uh, have devoted their lives to serving families and individuals with disabilities And these are open and honest conversations. And so if you are uh, walking through life with a disability or you have a family member with a disability, first of all, we want you to know that we see you, we hear you, we advocate for you. We also want you to know that these conversations are here to encourage and to uplift, as well as to let you know that there are people that are walking with you and understand the journey that you're on. And so today, we have this wonderful opportunity to have a conversation with two of my friends, two people that are members of our church, Joe Exted and Phil Woody. And I'm gonna give them a moment uh, to introduce themselves. We're gonna start with Joe. She's gonna tell you a little bit about herself and, and where she works and what she does. Uh, and she'll give you the elevator speech. Phil will give you his elevator speech on how he entered this world of disability. And then we'll continue in our conversation. So, welcome both of you. Thank you for joining us. And Joe, would you just uh, let our listeners uh, know who you are and a little bit about what you do?
1: Okay, uh, my name is Joe Ekstad and I work with um, Georgia Department, uh, Georgia Vocational Rehabilitation Agency, and the division I work it with is Vocational Rehab. And uh, I started out as a teacher and went into this field sometime later, got my master's, and then worked in the private sector for, it for a few years, and then fell back into teaching in, with special ed. And um, lots of different things. I decided to uh, go into this field because I did like it. and like working with them. And my main uh, part is, objectives of my job, is to actually uh, working with people with disabilities and obtaining employment. That's what our agency does. It's employee based. All of our services center around um, employment. My particular caseload is a collaboration with DVHDD another state agency that we may address later. And uh, my clients are seeking supported employment and they either have an intellectual or developmental disabilities.
0: Wonderful. So I collaborate
1: with them and other people to provide those services.
0: Right. And so, right now, you are working with a private agency that interfaces with a government agency.
1: Yes, a lot of mine are uh, a lot of mine are private agencies that we outsource our services to. You might say, and um, where those some are private, some do get state funds, but most of them are private.
0: Like a like a nonprofit is that a okay? Some of them are private? nonprofit.
1: Yes, some okay. of them are nonprofit. Most of them are nonprofit. A few are not. But for the most part, most of them are.
0: Okay. Thank you, Joan. and thank you for your work and for joining us. And we're excited that you're on this conversation. And Phil, tell us a little bit about yourself and also uh, what brought you into this conversation.
2: Sure, you bet. So, Don, um, I'm Philip Woody, and um, I am the father of Evan Woody, and my wife is Lisa Woody. I have a daughter, Emily. And um, my son, Evan, is 20 years old, and uh, at a year and a half, he suffered a traumatic brain injury that, um, that left him disabled for the rest of his life. And uh, we perform his average da- daily living skills, his ADLs, uh, like uh, bathing and shaving and dressing and toileting, uh, just about anything that he needs, feeding him, making sure he's safe, and... Um, uh, he's, he goes to Dunwoody High School and he'll be graduating next year. Um, so what got me into, uh, you know, this community and advocating for this community, of course, is because, um, you know, Evan had his accident and uh, we were exposed to, you know, all of the challenges that individuals with disabilities and families who care for those uh, people face, whether it's medical, whether it's social, whether it's, um, the services that we seek for them or just how, you know, how they're treated in the community or how they're, you know, uh, paid attention to or ignored. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how I got into this.
0: That's beautiful. And, you know, Phil, you, you uh, hinted at something that we want to make sure we touch on uh, in this conversation is that awareness can start for a myriad of reasons. You know, it can come through, for instance, with Joe, a calling and training and that progressing or it can come through uh, any number of ways that a family can begin navigating disabilities, such as um, a child who maybe is born with some physical or uh, 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 emotional, mental, intellectual disabilities, developmental disabilities, but it can also come on because of accident or injury um, or illness. And so once someone begins to become aware It's almost as if this world opens up. Uh, Something that you've helped me to recognize is we're talking about the largest minority in the world. In the United States, 61 million uh, people living with disabilities, 26% of the population, worldwide over 1 billion. And so this, this conversation seems strange that it would be everywhere and yet almost invisible. And so that's part of why we want to have this conversation is awareness and advocacy. Uh, Joe, you know, we know a little bit about where you're working now, right? But you mentioned that you had been in education. And we know from previous conversations that this gave you some very, very tough experiences. And sometimes it's hard for people to hear these experiences, but people who are living with and navigating disabilities are aware of some of the things that you encountered during your time in teaching. So you, can you share with us a little bit about some of the, you know, the blessings and the hardships of that teaching profession that maybe propelled you to what you're doing now?
1: Yes, and there were more blessings than there were hardships, I will say, and um, a lot of the blessings, just watching uh, my students, whether they were just learning disability or whatever, just watching them uh, grow and progress, it was always, um, always a blessing, and um, when the light went off, you might say, Mm -hmm. and um, sometimes there were difficulties, because sometimes school systems might put you you know these kids don't count as much uh, it's changed, uh, That's changed that that is changing um, sometimes that has happened sometimes they're depending on what group you might work with um, they can be have some aggressive behaviors. Mm-hmm. I have encountered that before, and um where um I would get injured and mm-hmm. So and that was some of my last experience was working with that, getting frequently injured. And I just had to, I had to leave. I, I really liked the kids. and um, But that hands-on, that extensive hands-on was getting, especially at my age and other things like that, was just getting to be too much. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I kind of slowly kind of fell back into this and with the state agency. And so I'm working with a lot of them now. Maybe most of them I won't see for several years, but some of them I might see later if I'm there long enough. Yes, I see later on. Yes. And, uh, so I enjoy working with this part and um, helping the families navigate a lot of it. There's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of bureaucracy with it, unfortunately. And um, but just watching. That and That's how I kind of, I did get a master's, as I said, before also in rehab counseling from Memphis mm. State, University of Memphis now, I think. Mm. And uh, um, so I did work in that field for a little while in the private sector. There were some changes in the field, but I wound up falling back into the teaching field and enjoyed it. But I just felt like it was time for me to move on to my other part that's still related to yes. it.
0: So as we prepare to transition, Joe, you're going to talk to us a little bit about some of the myths around government behavioral health agencies, talking, helping us understand a little bit about the difference between the way the nonprofits function and government agencies interface. And I think that's important because as people begin to navigate these, these shifts and transitions, for instance, in Evan's uh, case, It won't be long till the current way our system is set up, he'll be aging out of certain opportunities that are available to him up to a certain age. And so I would like for you to just take a few moments, if you could, and talk about these agencies and kind of the interconnectivity and how people, what are some of the difficulties they face navigating the interface of these agencies, but also some some ways that people can maybe Find a path forward.
1: I'll try to do the best I can because mostly the one I'm going to be able to um, address is my own agency. Yes, and I can't, uh, like with any state agency, whether it's mine or one I interface with a lot or collaborate with a lot, uh, DBHDD, Department of Behavioral Health and Developmental Disabilities, it's all of us have huge caseloads. Uh, there's a lot that needs to be done for each person. Uh-oh, there's a lot. Uh, copious paperwork. <laughs> There's a lot of steps people have to move through and it's, mm. and I'm sure those steps are there for for valid reasons, but sometimes it can become very cumbersome. And uh, but a lot of myths is that um, um, maybe the the people don't care. Mm. And, um, and I would say most, everybody that I work with do care. And, um, but they may be working with 200, 200, 300 people. So sometimes it may come across that they don't care, even though they do. Yeah. And so sometimes just being patient with whoever you're, uh, talking with and working with. And, uh, my particular part is I also work a lot with, um, I don't really work with them, but we, do some stuff together uh, with social security and yeah. i think that uh, if they go to work they're going to lose all their benefits and that's not necessarily true mm. um there's there's ssi and ssdi ssi is for those would be more like um evan that he would probably be getting and they'll have to reapply for it when he gets to a certain age if he's not already and um, that's very, not a whole lot of money, but it does help. And then there's SSDI and security developmental, I mean, uh, disability insurance. That's what you or I or any of us would get if we could no longer work Mm -hmm. and we'd paid into the system. And there are-
0: You just said something I want to go back to. I don't want to lose your train of thought, but when you mentioned that someone you work with could have 100 families, or 200 families. That's kind of a little overwhelming uh, to to the listener to think.
1: Yes. Wow. That's a lot. Yes. And, and it's a lot. And, um, and I want to do the best job I can for each person. And, yes. um, but, you know, and I think other agencies do as well. And that's the reason why they go into it. Yeah. And, um, because they want to. It's just like. I guess, child protection services, you know, some of them, they get, they get um, overwhelmed by caseload mm-hmm. numbers mm-hmm. and um, there's, there's, the pay's not great. So there's not <laughs> you get to school for a long time and have it <laughs> your name and do all this kind of stuff and a lot of training and you're yeah. not necessarily, you know, so there's a lot of funding issues and other things like that.
0: Yeah. Let's bring Phil into this uh, conversation. Phil, you're on the you're you're obviously on uh, an another side of this conversation. My guess is you've encountered paperwork. I was watching you nod a little bit. Um, What is it like for you as a parent to try over the last 18 years to come up to speed and figure out how to navigate this world?
2: So, Don. Uh, first of all, I'll give all the credit you know, for the paperwork and all the administrative stuff that we have to go through to Lisa. She's just okay. fantastic. Uh, first of all, I want to say I'm, we're just so blessed and I'm so thankful that we're a two-parent family mm. um, and that Lisa has the time and the skills to be able to fill out all the paperwork that is required of a family to be able to get services from the state of Georgia or from the federal government, but primarily the state of Georgia. Um, she has an accounting background, but that's not common. That is not common. What is very common is single parent families who may be low income or mid income, who have to spend all day long, you know, working and then they come home and they take care of their child. If, you know, and that's, you know, there's a, there's a uh, that balance can, can change obviously from family to family. But she literally had to fill out every year paperwork that was this thick, if not thicker, in just, you know, hard copy paper that she would then, um, and and a lot of times she would get like one week's notice or two weeks notice. This is all due. And she would just scurry to get that all together, uh, then take it down to the, you know, agency office that's uh, asking for it and ask for a receipt. No, we can't give you a receipt. Really? Okay. Fine. Here you go. And then you get calls. Um, no, we lost your paperwork. Mm-hmm. Or oh, it said um, says here that Evan is eighteen. No, at the time he was eight. And mm-hmm. just so much of that that goes on. And uh, again, we just can't imagine what it's like for you know a single parent family uh, to have mm-hmm. to go through all this. And um, so you know we're 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 different. Uh, we have a different makeup than a lot of families, but. You know all the credit goes to Lisa.
0: Well, and I think why don't why don't we take a moment and just circle that conversation a little bit? because what we're hearing uh, what I'm hearing is from Joe, I'm hearing that uh, uh, some of the reality on her hand, you know, she's kind of peeling back the 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 layer there, or maybe maybe a better way to say that is she's kind of drawing the curtain back and saying, "Hey, behind here." You've got some people that are in it for the right reason. Their caseloads are, you know, very large. The pay isn't great. They're, you know, kind of doing their thing on that end. And then you're indicating that even in a two-parent home with someone with uh, some unique background and training in accounting still finds this a, a very difficult thing to navigate and one of the things I, I just have to say, Phil, that I so deeply appreciate about you and Lisa both is your complete awareness and empathy for families, single parent homes, who are not able to navigate it uh, this way. And I think that that opens the door for us to at least allow our imaginations to rethink what advocacy involves. It's kind of a broad you know, range of, of, you know, of concerns. That's some of what I'm, I'm hearing here.
2: Right. Absolutely. So uh, first of all, I want to say that, you know, I, I got into the advocacy because ever since I was young, I had a heart for politics uh, as a way to help people. And I just can't sit back and and do nothing hoping that things will change. Uh, You know, voting is great. We all do it. Hopefully all do it once a year. And but we're one in, you know, one in thousands who do that. So when you can change the minds of the people in the government who decide the budgets and the laws and who vote on the budgets and the laws, then you really can make a difference and that's where advocacy comes in. We have to do all those things um, but there are you know a lot of different forms of adv- advocacy uh, different places you can go to to get involved in advocacy. Um, you can do it as an individual like like I am, but I also um, you know work closely with uh, other people who are directors of other agencies, like mm-hmm. um, Cheryl Arno, who is a uh, director of the um, Georgia Down Syndrome Association, mm-hmm. uh, the Georgia Council for um, uh, Developmentally uh, yeah. Disabled, mm-hmm. and, uh, and so many more, the ARC. And, um, but so there are a lot of places you can go to get involved, but really what you have to do is, you know, something as simple as just picking up the phone, calling your yeah. senator and legislator before there's an issue get to know them, you know, get to be their friends Mm. so that when issues like what are, what's coming up now, the cuts, uh, for, you know, waivers, uh, to provide support for individuals like Evan and the 6,000 other who applied for it. Um, so that when those issues come up, you can go to them and say, please, can you help us? Yes. Uh, So there are a lot of different ways you can do it, but, um, could uh, you, could you
0: talk for a moment? I want to, uh, prepare our listeners for this part of the conversation. In a moment, I'm going to ask Joe to talk about ways that she, both as a professional and as a citizen, has grown into her advocacy over the years, because that's that's part of why she's on this call. But while she's going to lead us in that conversation in a moment, would you tell us about earlier this week, um, here in June 2020, when we're filming this, can you tell us a little bit about just this week and some ways that you and Lisa and Evan have been advocating just this week so that our listeners can understand what is happening right now and how a call and an email to their senator, their representative could make a difference like right now?
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, when uh, when you talk about the things that that we've done uh, just this week, I think about what we've done over the years, you know, from participating in participating in uh, you know disabled marches at the Capitol, that of course mm. never got any press. Thanks. But anyway, this week, um, uh, Lisa, Evan, and I uh, were granted five minutes of public comment to speak to one of the Senate subcommittees uh, on appropriations uh, that uh, that address. Things like you know what's called the now comp waiver. The now comp waiver provides you know respite care, residential care, you know uh, therapies, um, just a whole myriad of services that that families need. And so we were granted five minutes. How did we get that five minutes? Well, I did it by doing my research, <laughs> going online, and you know who makes the decisions in the state? Well, it's the appropriations committee. Who votes on it? It's the senators and the legislators. Um, what meetings do they have coming up? And I found they had a meeting this past Monday and uh, they were allowing six slots for public comment. So I'm like, ah, it's probably already filled, but I'll give it a shot. I send the email. And what do you know? we got five minutes and, um, and yeah. And so there we are sitting in front of, you know, four of the six committee members and the appropriations committee um, who have an influence mm. who we can, who we can, um, here comes Evan. <laughs> great and uh he was evan's the star of the show he's the uh, he was hey evan the community how you doing man and so so we went down there and we set our piece for five minutes and um you know it's it's things like that uh you know just trying to be creative in ways that you advocate and um just getting the message across and, and putting the face of the issue in front of these people. Yes. And, you know, it's not just me, Philip Woody with the, you know, with the professional with the tie. Um, it's Evan and it's Lisa. Yes. And, uh, it's the whole family. But more importantly, it's the whole community mm. of, you know, of the 6,000. I could go down there and try to get the services just for Evan and say, okay, I got him, I'm done. But no, there's, there are a lot of people out there who need it and a lot who have not even signed up because they don't know about it or know how to do it.
0: There you go. Okay, so Joe, let's hand off to you. Tell us tell us ways that you have discovered through your professional life and your personal uh, uh, life, and as a citizen, as a follower of Christ, uh, how have you learned to advocate?
1: And um, as a citizen, it's a little easier for me, because I can say a lot more just as a private citizen. Yes. Because lots of times, um, just helping people to be aware when people do have a disability, maybe Mm -hmm. sometimes maybe mocking people or other things like that. uh, Just sometimes confronting that part and just helping people to be aware that this is something that can happen to any of us. It can happen Mm -hmm. to anybody in our family, like it did with uh, Phil's family. And um, it touches all of us in some way. And, um, Then professionally, um, just helping sometimes the families. Most of mine is, um, you know, helping the families, you know, um, work through some of this. Because with my particular caseload, a lot of times I'm working more as much with the caretakers or parents as I am the clients. And uh, helping them to find maybe resources, telling them what they are, um, and helping them to... uh, address that Um, then um but I think a lot of times it's been more me as a private just a private citizen letting people know okay this is coming up this is what's going to happen this is you know some of the like with these recent talking about these budget cuts it's not going to affect my agency as directly as it's going to affect a lot of the I service providers yes. and, um, and whether or not they're going to be able to stay in business or have the co- stay, they're going to have a reduction in may stay in business, but they may not have uh, the, be able to have the staff to be able to provide services.
0: Wow. So you've hit on two really powerful things here, Joe. I, I, I would like to lean into them a little bit. Okay. One of the things that you, you addressed there was like this, just day to day, literally personally advocating in a moment where someone is being mocked or made fun of or pushed aside or mistreated. And I, I just think that's profound because the average person has encountered that. You know, they've encountered that somewhere along the line and they've been in that uncomfortable situation and maybe they wanted to do something, didn't know what to do. But right there in the moment, that people were able to do something. But the other thing you mentioned was this idea of leaning into the whole family, to uh, helping the whole family. And um, Phil uh, uh, offered me some resources, some documentaries to watch. And one of the things I noticed in regard to uh, employment is that a lot of times people had spent their entire life being told what they were not going to be able to do.
1: Yes. And that's... Yes. Then okay.
0: advocates begin to speak in. But what if we also emphasize what they are able to do? So could you talk a little bit about that with us? Right.
1: And like I said, my particular caseload is. Um, man, uh, now, VR serves people with multiple disabilities, be deaf. You could have um, you could be blind. You could have an amp- you could have a limb amputated, you could have spinal cord, you know, all kinds of things a mental illness, but my particular caseload is that what I do is, um, since it's supported employment and it's referrals from BBHDD, because we serve a lot of the same people, they have indicated they would like to probably pursue some type of employment. And Mm -hmm. with supported employment, uh, uh, there will be an agency and a person who will, from that agency, who will be working directly with that person, to obtain a job, to research a job, to interview. Then on the job, they'll be with them. A lot of times they'll be with them, depending on the person and the job and what they need. They'll be right there with them, 100%. um, And then they'll start fading away as they learn that job. And they're not always going to be just working with um, that job seeker. They're gonna also be working with the employer. Okay, if it was Evan, Evan needs these things you know, these are some things Evan needs. Uh, this is how you communicate with Evan. This is how Mm -hmm. you, and the other, and, uh, helping them to understand, um, what, uh, the job seeker or the person that's in the job, the employee might not be able to do for themselves. Yes. Teach them self-advocacy skills as well as best as best they can, uh, that that person can do. And, um, And there's different, I won't go into real detail about the different models of of supported employment. Um, But there's one model that I work with, and it's called Customize. And that's usually going to be for somebody who has a more severe disability. And you're sitting there, what can this person do? And we go through an evaluation. Now, and it's not a paper pencil or anything like that. But it's learning more and more about that person, seeing what that person does on a date here or there and other places, talking to different people. Yes. And um, whoever is doing that, they look at what are this person's, what kinds of skills does this person have? Getting mm-hmm. to know there's limitations or they wouldn't be with us. Yes. To you know that. But the, this assessment is going to be looking at more strengths, what they can do, what kind of supports will they need to go to work? What would be their ideal conditions for employment, Mm -hmm. Uh, then progressing from there and creating um, a going out and um, saying, okay, i have some looking at employees that might be able to use those skills and saying, Hey, I see you need to do whatever it is. For example, this is, I have one that really likes, she liked to shred paper. She liked to kind of tidy up and it was with a small organization and it was uh and so what she does is she helps them um get rid of shred all their papers uh tidy up the place a little bit she goes in a couple of two or three days a week gets that taken care of that's something that the employees don't have to do they can uh the other employees don't have to because she is an employee uh they don't have to take care of that they're able to focus more of their time you know doing other things because a lot of times this was taking maybe 30 minutes out of their day, you know, just, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. And, so we
0: need creativity.
1: Right. And so it works. We want it to be something that's going to work, not just for our job seeker, or, but also for the employer. Yes. We want it to be a if way. an
0: employer was interested, if someone's watching right now, you know, and, and is either an employer or is in a decision-making exploratory role in a company. Who could they contact to say, how do we learn about this? Could we find out if our company could participate in a program like that? Who would they reach out to, Joe?
1: Hmm. I'm going to have to find out who that exact person is, but I would just say go to the website in Georgia Vocational Rehabilitation Agency, and it may have some uh, more information about who that particular person would be. And there's usually also tax incentives for um, employers as well. And they they could, you know, to uh, take advantage of some of that too as an incentive to um, hire somebody with a disability. See, I think
0: this is important because I I remember uh, when I was young, uh, my father had a, a statement that means more to me now than it did then. And he said, you know, things happen and sometimes they happen to you. Right. And you know, the point he was trying to make was, this is going on all around you all the time, but because of your life experiences, you may or may not notice it, mm-hmm. but, but you notice it when it happens to you. So I began thinking, one of the reasons I wanted to have this exact conversation is so that people could hear what you're sharing and begin to let their creative and innovative mind step into what if, Right. what if we did something and how would we begin to navigate that? And so if you're listening and this has kind of touched you in the heart, piqued your interest, I want you to go to that website. Joe, could you give that one more time?
1: Um, I think if you, I, I'm to have to go and see exactly how it's listed, but it's probably gonna be, GV, uh, oh my goodness, um, gvs.ga.gov. Yep. I think it's gonna, I'm going to have to pull that up, make sure that that's exact. I know that's how the, the end of my.
0: Uh, well, we can put it in the chat too. box. And
1: yeah, can I will. I will look for it and I will um, make sure that that's exactly how it's listed. Okay. If, uh, one thing that other people can just do, you know, when it comes to my particular part of it, and um, lots of people are very just you know they are so very overwhelmed one of the biggest barriers i come up with because sometimes people their families are trying to work they're trying to do this they're trying to do so many other things and uh they have uh, an adult child that does want to go to work and then run into transportation issues Mm. and uh, so just maybe if you know somebody that's doing that or if you have a neighbor or other things like that just uh, just be aware, you know, maybe if that person is going to work and maybe you're, well, retired or maybe you work from home. So many people are working from home right now. Mm-hmm. You might be able to work it out that you could help provide some transportation.
0: There you and, go. There uh, you so go. That's,
1: right. So that's something that some people might be able to do. And this
0: is very, very helpful.
1: Right. That's just a big, that's just a big
0: <laughs> barrier it, for a lot of people. And what I think you're both illustrating is that advocacy happens at multiple levels and through multiple avenues. And to Phil's point earlier, what we're looking for is really outcome. We're looking for things that actually do help people. Phil, I'd like for us to to, uh, turn our conversation to uh, a little bit of the intersectionality that we're talking about here in regard to Families with disabilities. So I want to set up this and then you can uh, speak into this. When we think about the first, the demographics of disabilities, uh, you and Joe have both already articulated that this this can happen to anyone. So disabilities happen in every culture. Uh, Every ethnicity experiences disabilities. Uh, Your income will not exclude you from disabilities. It, it may impact your ability to get resources, but it will not shield you from potentially being touched by uh, a personal disability or someone in your family having disabilities. We've also recognized that when it comes to disabilities, the problems that impact people with disabilities also have a tendency to spread out across The spectrum. One of the things that your wife Lisa uh, shared with me uh, this week, Phil, was early on the two of you were told you'll need to get counseling because the the families that end up not surviving intact after uh, experiencing a disability like this is very high percentage, far above eighty percent, and so there again that. That doesn't have anything to do with someone's uh, ethnicity or their income bracket or where they live. It it impacts them differently. Another thing we wanted to share about intersectionality is at this specific time that we are doing these conversations, the uh, United States is in an elevated conversation about police practices. And there are many, many opinions, and some of the opinions are being navigated you know fairly well, and some of them are not. There's a lot of polarization on those uh, opinions. But one of the things we're recognizing in intersectionality is that between 40 and 50 percent of uh, police encounters with, with citizens is with people who are dealing with mental illness. And so I'm not sure that a lot of people are processing the challenges on all sides of that. But again, when we take a broad brushstroke and say something about policing, if we leave out of that conversation, disabilities and mental illness, we are missing the mark on the solutions for this conversation. So when we start thinking about advocacy, we got to think about intersectionality and begin to ask, Who can come alongside me and who can I come alongside to, as we solve one issue, we are actually contributing to the solving of other issues. And so what I'd like for you, if you would, to do is to maybe share a little bit about what makes you tired? Tired with
2: advocacy or tired tired. tired with caregiving? Say more about that. Which one? Advocacy or caregiving? Both.
0: Okay. So I want you to speak oh, into the personal experience and I want you to speak into the advocacy experience.
2: All right. Hopefully I won't break down in the middle of a time. Um, but hey, that's uh, what
0: these conversations oh are for, gosh. right?
2: Yeah. I you know, um, where do you start? Uh, as a family, the one thing that's a couple things that are, are the most challenging are that first of all, this is a twenty-four by seven by three hundred and sixty-five day a year job being a family caregiver of a person that you love so much who has a disability. Um, As I mentioned earlier, we, we dress up and feed him, bathe him, shave him, toilet him, you know, make sure he doesn't run out into the street. Uh, Lisa gets up with him at least three times a night. Um, And, you know, a lot of the families who care for these uh, children and adult children um, have depression and anxiety as a result. And so they deal with that. One of the other things is that, um, you know, we worry about how our children are going to be cared for after we pass away. No Mm -hmm. one is going to love our children any more than we do. Mm -hmm. And we just want to make sure that they're cared for, you know, financially, emotionally, physically. We want quality of life for them for the rest of their life. And you know, one of my prayers is um, that there is someone who loves Evan, who protects him, and who cares for him till the last day of his his life, until his last last breath. And that's what we really care for. And the other thing is that it's it's financially mm-hmm. um, draining <laughs> because you know, when Evan gets out of high school, we're going to have to find something for him to do. You know, to to make good use of his time and to have a quality of life and day programs can cost, you know, $20,000 a year. Mm. Uh, and then when, uh, when he eventually goes to a group home or we pass away and he has to go to assisted living, that could be as much as $60,000 a year in today's dollars. And when you total all that up over 60 years after he graduates high school, that could be as much as $2.8 million. Mm. And that, believe me, <laughs> we're doing the best we can to save that, but that's a, huge number. And I can't imagine what it's like for families who aren't, you know, two-income families and so on. So And you mentioned
0: the other day, Phil, a number that struck me. You said that that would be something like, in comparison, my wife and I, paying for, we have five children, paying for all of their education, college education, every year for the rest of their lives. Exactly.
2: Exactly. And And I'll just transition slightly over to advocacy. When you advocate and you go to your senators and representatives or really anybody who you want to try to influence for this cause, you need to put it in their terms, which is Mm -hmm. exactly what you just did, Don, which is, so how would you like to pay for your college, your child's college education for the rest of their life? Mm -hmm. What impact would that have? Mm -hmm. So you hit the nail on the head, Don. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, hey, let me mention one other, one other thing, too, is that we couldn't do what we're doing today without uh, support of a lot of people. Uh, you know, right now we're talking about services from the state, but you know what? Um, we love our city of Dunwoody. We love our community. We love our neighborhood. We love our church. And if it wasn't for all of those groups, you know, rallying around and, and us getting him out into those environments, uh, I, I couldn't do it. We couldn't do it. I couldn't do it without my faith. Um, Period. End of sentence. (laughs) Amen.
0: Amen. You know, it's been, uh, I want our listeners to know um, that both of you have made such an impact on me. It's been my amazing blessing to know both of you over 20 years. And watching you consistently live into uh, you know, the best of this, but also with the stress of this has been incredibly uh, moving. And so, Joe, I did notice that you just uh, posted in the chat box the agency. Could you say it out loud for our listeners? So perhaps those who are uh, uh, blind or unable to see that would be able to to uh, okay. hear it.
1: Uh, you want the website for my agency? Yes. Yes. Okay. It's um, H-T-T-E-S, a colon slash slash G-V-S dot Georgia, spelled out, dot gov. Okay. And um, there's other links in there that you can go to. It uh, says employers, and I think I posted some information about that and uh, how actually hiring People with disabilities is actually good for business, and you know, comes to the bottom, you know, dollar, you know. Yes. uh, With money as well, and it not only benefits people with disabilities, but it can benefit, you know, businesses as well. And a lot of people even have a disability that you may not know about. Yes. And uh, a lot of us may have a disability, and whether or not it, it may or may not. Uh, result in functional limitations, and um, but a lot of people maybe live with a hidden disability too that does have some functional limitations to it.
0: Yes. You know, and you touching on that spectrum is very, very important. Uh, The CDC has a lot of resources as well, and part of the resources that have um, been part of my educational process is... is what they refer to as invisible disabilities that people are living with. And they estimate, depending on how you classify them, between 70 and 90% of disabilities are invisible. Um, Also, uh, Phil, you mentioned a few um, agencies that have been good resources for you. Uh, Ryan Lee mentioned Autism Speaks and some other resources that were very helpful. So in our uh, closing comments here, uh, let's start with you, Joe. What do you wish everyone knew or would do next in regard to uh, advocating for people with disabilities and serving this community well?
1: Right now, I think the, Immediate need is the budget cuts and um, contacting as many people, you know, people, legislators, and other things like that. That's a very immediate need. And um, just maybe, um, and then on a day to day, again, just helping them, you know, families with disabilities and other things like this, walk through. This because it is a struggle. And I do have a lots of families that come to me and it's one parent. Mm. They're uh, and that person may be trying to work as well. Um, they've not been uh whenever they were in school, a lot of things were taken care of during the day. Mm. Now they're home and they can't be left alone. Uh, they're trying to work, they have to put food on the table and uh, They may not be able to work because of their, uh, and then that puts them in even a more, you know, dire situation economically. And, um, but, so a lot of them just graduate from school to the couch and uh, nothing going on. Nobody coming in. uh, They're not going to any kind of program. Sometimes they lose skills that they gained um, in school because they're not, You know, continually using those, uh, using those skills and developing them further. And it just gets, they get further and further back. Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't know if I said very much about how to necessarily, but right now I think just sometimes just walking through life with um, and being there to see how you you might not be able to do everything, but maybe there's one area you could help with, with one area and uh, just one little thing that you might be able to do and um, that might be helpful. Might not be able to do everything, but just one little thing.
0: And
1: that's us as Christians and community.
0: That's beautiful because as soon as you said that, I saw Phil (laughs) nodding right along in sync with you. Uh, Mm -hmm. So Phil, I will pitch that same question to you. What do you wish everyone knew and what do you wish they would do in regard to advocating for people with disabilities, families with family members with disabilities, uh, and coming alongside and serving this community
2: well. Sure, and I'll try to make it quick because I could go on forever. Um, but um, what I what I think it's important right now to know from a uh, legislative standpoint is that the state budget has to be in place by July 1st. Okay. So there are two weeks left Um, for the legislators uh, to, you know, work together to come up with a budget that the state's going to use for, you know, for the next year, next fiscal year. And there have been massive cuts to uh, two of the programs uh, that the disabled community uh, desperately need. And one is called the now Comp Waiver, which helps with a lot of the services I talked about earlier. And the other is uh, family support services, which is the safety net for those people, those 6,000 people who are waiting for the waiver, you know, to provide some support. And um, so, so that's the what. The and the how is um, call your legislators, not just your local district legislators. That's incredibly important. Um, but also reach out to the people who are making the decisions behind the closed doors. I like to say, like, the, in the Appropriations Committee, and I can get those names for you. Yes, and when you call those people, if you're nervous and you want to go visit them, I'll go with you. That's what I do on a. <laughs> I, I talk to people on a day-to-day basis, but uh, the other thing is show up as allies. You know, with those special needs families when they go to the legislators, I can't go on all of them, but go with them and um, is and let them know that you, as neurotypical individuals, allies, want your tax dollars to be used for this community that has been neglected and unseen for so, so many decades, yes. uh, demonstrate with us, you know, at some point I'm, um, I would love to get to a little, you know, a, um, uh, you know, protest or a march together. Um. And the other thing I'm thinking about, and I would love to get, you know, some of the men in our community to rally together to create an advocacy group that I'm thinking about calling the men of 6,000 and a group of at least you know, 600 men to start who would be involved in the lives of special needs persons and their families, it could be neighbors, fathers, allies, co-workers, and, uh, and help these families, not just from a legislative standpoint, but, you know, on a day-to-day basis, like like Joe just said, just, just show up, You know, um, you know, offer to clean their house, mm-hmm. <laughs> offer to mow their lawn, offer to go shopping with them, offer to just go out, you know, to a restaurant or to a to get a cup of coffee and sit and talk and not just do it once but do it on a regular basis um so because we want to be included i mean you know we're normal people (laughs) we're normal people with abnormal challenges and um yeah and just keep in mind that you know the disabled community is the largest unchurched community in the world and um like i said I couldn't do it without mine. Yes.
1: That's, I want to address uh, some, if I can, real please, quick, something please. Phil said, because he wants to be included. Uh, lot of times, depending on the disabilities, not only um, is the person with the disability isolated, but so many times their families mm. are isolated. And this pandemic and shutdown and other things like that, but I'm not, it's, that has further isolated Yes people, and I think some people it's gotten through their wits end yes. Uh, yes in some cases because I I know just even some of the children I have had and I know their the parents might have deal with that continually how hard it was for me at some times and um, how hard it can be for them as well and yes. can be you know overwhelming, just overwhelming.
0: Yes. Thank you for that, because we have, you know, that's another area, Joe and Phil, of connectivity, right? Isolation negatively impacts people, period. Mm -hmm. And then you start compounding that, uh, not just through the coronavirus COVID-19 experience, but then you compound it with uh, the things that people are facing in their lives, uh, special needs, and so on. And then we begin to see the the human toll on people. And so I really deeply appreciate you leaning into that. You know, you made me think of something. You remember when uh, one of the first things that God, our creator, said about humanity, it is not good for them to be alone. And I think that's just a fundamental statement about our humanness is to be able to be included, and to and for that inclusion to mean whatever it takes, you know, for our circumstance. Right. Go to your point about employment. I really love that you emphasize that it's not just on preparing the person with disabilities to enter, but it's preparing the workplace to receive this person yes. and to be supported. And so these are ways that this conversation is gonna help us advocate. So, a couple of things to wrap up for our wonderful Love First listeners is, number one, we would ask you to share this video, share this information, share this conversation. Next, we would ask you right now to contact those local legislators, those state legislators, engage yourself in this current advocacy concerning the budget, right now. This is essential. And then let's begin to take steps. Uh, I love the way Joe said it. You can't do everything, but you can do something. So let's step into these opportunities to come alongside someone and just ask, what are some things that you would prioritize that I could be a part of? And so I want to say thank you uh, to both of you. I want to say thank you to Joe. Thank you to Phil. I want to say thank you to Evan because I can tell Evan's coming back into the frame. Thank you, Evan. And I want to say to all of our listeners, Evan did a great job advocating for Evan. Yes. At the legislature. And we were very proud to be there and to see that and to watch that. God bless you. And thank you all for joining us on this conversation. Thank you,
2: Don.
1: Thank you. you. My My pleasure.
0: Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
1: my soul